And welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio. This is episode number 32 of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 324th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, June 22nd, 2017. I'm Jared Morris, your host for the Assembly Call and for Assembly Call Radio, where each week we break down the most important IU basketball stories from the past seven days. And remember, once the season starts, you can catch us immediately after every IU basketball game on the Assembly Call IU postgame show. Watch us live at assemblycall.com. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just go to assemblycall.com slash YouTube. And if you can't catch one of our shows live, you can always catch up with our podcast. Just search for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts, and you will find us. All right, let's begin how we always begin, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. Uh, this was not the most eventful week, obviously, with Indiana basketball news. Uh, and so I think really there's a couple moments that stood out for me. One is OG Ananobi getting invited to the green room uh, for the NBA draft. It is always a good thing to have a presence uh, at the draft, obviously, if you're a program that wants to recruit on the level that Indiana does. And so having OG in the green room as one of the top prospects was a great thing to have happen for Indiana. Uh, But when we talk about current players, uh, again, without a whole lot of news to go off of, the one thing that I saw this week was encouraging was a workout video that the Indiana Twitter account posted. It was uh, the latest edition of what they're calling Cliff Notes, and that is kind of workout videos with Cliff Marshall, Indiana's new strength and conditioning coach. And I thought it was really interesting. He he walked Indiana fans through a workout that he was putting Deron Davis through. Uh, And number one, Deron looked noticeably svelte uh, in the video, which is good. Archie Miller said he's lost 17, 18 pounds, and you you can really tell in this video. But it was interesting, uh, the workout he had Deron doing, which was running on an underwater treadmill, which was cool to see. I'd never seen anybody do that before, but talking about how it really helps to ease the pressure on the joints and on the knees. And when you have a guy, even a slimmer uh, Deron Davis is still a big guy carrying a lot of weight. And we have seen enough Indiana big men uh, in walking boots that were always kind of scared of that happening. And so anything that can be done to help improve Deron's conditioning and his strength without putting a whole lot of pressure uh, on those knees and on those uh, and on those joints is going to be a good thing for his health going into the season. So that was encouraging to watch uh, from the guy that I think we all agree is one of the most important players heading into next season. So hopefully that is another step in Duran getting in shape and getting ready to have the big season that we all know he is capable of having. All right. Well, let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this episode of the assembly call. Ryan Phillips could not be here this week. Uh, He actually laminated a piece of green construction paper and wrote Ryan Phillips draft prospect on it in hopes that he could finagle his way into the green room for the NBA draft. It didn't work. Not surprisingly, but he decided to stay and heck with John Calipari anyway, so he's doing important work right now. But here with me, my partner in crime on another off-season edition of the Assembly Call is one of the world's most respected bracketologists, the president of the Robert Johnson Fan Club, and someone who is quickly gaining a reputation as the Gino Oriema of girls' youth sports in Cincinnati. He is Andy Bottoms. Andy, you've been away for a few weeks. It's great to have you back. What is your bottoms line from the past month in Indiana basketball? Yeah, it's, it's funny, having not been here, you would think that there would be a lot that I could talk about that's going on, but I feel like that's, uh, other than missing you guys' company, I don't know that I missed too many too many important topics. I think I think everybody's kind of getting to the point now where you're just waiting for really anything to happen. All the roster stuff, uh, I think, has really played itself out at this point. Uh, I think if that, that extra scholarship was going to be used, it, it feels like we would have heard about that by now. 
you get bits and pieces of the schedule, but you're waiting for the entirety of the non-conference schedule to come out, but you don't have that. Um, you're kind of from a recruiting standpoint, just hearing names, but it's not a time when people commit. So it's just kind of that, uh, you know, weird, weird dead period where there's not a whole lot going on. So definitely excited to, uh, to be back. And I think we've got some good things to, to talk about. Certainly it hasn't stopped the inflow of Twitter questions, which is good for, uh, for us for doing the show. But, uh, yeah, just in terms of there's nothing really concrete to latch onto at this point. And so I think, um, you know, some of the workout stuff that you, that you mentioned is interesting to look at. And I think particularly interesting, uh, as you really start to put that in the context of the freshmen who were there, um, and, and really starting to see those guys, uh, get into that and how important that is. And I think you, you talk about Deron Davis. Uh, it always felt like last year he was playing catch up a little bit from missing, uh, the time that he did early on. So, uh, you know, a positive, if you really want to, you know, search hard for one is that all those guys have been there, uh, you know, have, have gotten there in the last couple of weeks and have been able to get started on that program. And I think that's, uh, that's important because I, I do think there are opportunities for each of those guys to, to carve out a role on the team while probably not as a starter. Um, and so I think the more that they can get acclimated to being on campus, uh, to what being in the program is all about, uh, the better chance they're going to be able to contribute when the uh, schedule actually does come out and the games get started. Absolutely. And I can't wait to see when the schedule does come out so we can see what the rest of the non-conference schedule will look like. Um, I just want to plan around the Mississippi Valley State game. Is that too much to ask? Yes. I just, you know. I know. I know. That's We all wait for that game. Uh, so despite not a lot of news this week, we still have a jam-packed show for you. So we're going to jump right into our Twitter Q&A uh, here in just a minute because we did get some great questions, some new ones and some different ones. So those will be fun to answer. And then we have something special planned. And on some of these slower weeks, this is what we're going to do is kind of take a fun topic and debate it. And so this week, we're going to take a look back. There's not, you know, obviously a lot new to look forward to right now. So we're going to take a look back and look at the 10 most important players from the Tom Crean era. Uh, and I think there'll be a lot of good discussion and debate to, co- uh, to come from that. So that should be a fun topic. All of that and more coming on this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio. First, before we jump into our Twitter Q&A, a quick word about this week's sponsor, SeatGeek. As you know, buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy, and that is with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I actually have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it is by far the easiest way that I have found to shop for tickets. It's what I use when I'm looking for tickets because I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats, uh, as I did earlier this year, to go watch Yogi play uh, here in Dallas. And the reason why I use it is because SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. They save you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals so that you don't have to. And best of all, our listeners get $20 off of their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code ASSEMBLY, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y today. That's promo code ASSEMBLY. For $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All right, you are listening to The Assembly Call. I am Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms talking IU basketball. And Andy, let's jump into our Twitter Q&A. And again, we got some interesting questions. Let's hit Chris's question first uh, because it kind of mentions Tom Crooner. We're going to be talking about the Tom Crooner era a little bit. And this is a really interesting question. He says, with the high expectations with Archie Miller, will failing to meet expectations disappoint or upset the fa- upset the fan base more so than under Tom Crean? What do you think about this one? 
I mean, I would say I would say no. I, I think that similarly, it, it almost implies to a certain extent that the expectations weren't were were somehow different for Kareem than they are for Archie Miller. And I don't know that that's necessarily the case. Um, I think the other piece to look at there is kind of how they go about chasing those expectations. And I think we've already seen just from a demeanor and approach, uh, whatever you want to call it, that they're going to go about reaching uh, those expectations and ideally exceeding them uh, in different ways. And so I think that that to me becomes uh, a bit of the difference. I think people started to be more upset with Kareem you know, they certainly gave him a lot of rope at the beginning. I think RG will probably have less rope because it's starting from a far less dire uh, position. But um, I think, you know, those expectations, I, I think we're always there. And I think some of the things that uh, with Kareem that did get the fan fan base upset or disappointed um, were in some ways the way he went about trying to reach the expectations and not necessarily just failing to meet them. I agree. I mean, look, the expectations are ridiculously high right now. Part of that is because Archie Miller is a blank slate, and the Archie Miller era at IU is a blank slate, so everything seems possible. But I would just urge you to think back to, you know, right after Christian Watford's shot goes through, and, you know, you've got this team that seems totally ascendant. You've got the movement coming in. You've got all this recruiting momentum. I mean, everything seemed possible at that moment. You know, Indiana was back and then going into the next season, the number one team in the country with another great recruiting class coming in. So expectations were as high as they could possibly be. And so I don't think it's really a case of the expectations necessarily being higher right now for Archie Miller than they were under Tom Crane or it being any more disappointing if Archie fails to meet those expectations than Tom did. We just now have the full benefit of hindsight with the Tom Crean era and knowing that despite some of those great highs, there were obviously other lows that came with it that ended up proving to be Tom Crean's demise. But I think it, it, what we need to get back to with Indiana basketball is kind of the standard being the standard regardless of who the coach is. And if you fall short of that standard, it's not really dependent on the coach you know, whether it's more disappointing or not, it's just that we fell below the standard. And so there's a lot of renewed optimism now for Archie Miller. He seems like the right guy at the right time uh, to move us forward. Uh, but if he doesn't, and if he fails to meet those expectations as Tom Crean did after certainly, you know, raising them after those rough first three years, then I think it'll be just as disappointing as it was, you know, last year and, and how disappointing it felt in 2014 and 15 as well. Uh, yeah, and I think the other couple things to add to that, it, one, the recruiting is going to play a big factor in that. Uh, you know, much has been made of of the inside-out recruiting approach and recruiting the state. That was a big reason of frustration for people. And I think it's too early, even in the 2018 class, to really make that a big point of contention. But I think as you start looking at future classes, I could see um, people starting to get upset about that. But again, I think from an expectation standpoint, um, getting some of the 2018 kids from Indiana w would be uh, would be great, but I, I I also think people sometimes can downplay the importance of really being in on these kids earlier than he has had the opportunity to be, um, and so I think being able to get any of them I think would be um, would be important. And the other is really just looking at the on court product and the kinds of things that you know the team is able to do. Um, if you see the team making strides defensively. Um, but maybe they just don't have quite the guys to execute the scheme that he wants. I don't know that that's true. Matt may prove to be, you know, a foolish notion, but, um, I think that's the other thing to look at is, can you see little things on the court 
that show that they're transitioning to a different system, a different style, um, the kinds of things that Archie Miller has talked about that's gotten fans excited. If you start to see some of that, even if the wins and losses don't add up in the very beginning, um, I think there, while I, while I said earlier, there's not going to be nearly as much rope for him as, as Crean got. I do think those are some things that will pacify people in the short term and they probably should, um, you know, again, to, to be able to say that he, you know, he assembled this team in the image of what he wants it to be is, is clearly not the case. Um, and I think him being able to mold the set of guys that he inherited and, and kind of re-recruited, if you will, uh, into something that looks like the vision that he's laid out for the program, I think will be a really good step if, if that uh, if that can happen as early as this next season. Yeah, agreed. All right, let's save the rest of these questions for the next segment. So come back on the assembly call. We will continue answering the questions that you sent us in via Twitter. Uh, that is next as we move forward on today's episode. You're listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here talking IU hoops with Andy Bottoms. Andy, we've got a few more of our Twitter Q&A questions, so let's hit those before we jump into our next segment where we're going to run down the 10 most important players from the Tom Crean era, which should be fun, and we want to save plenty of time for that. So let's hit these. Uh, this question comes to us from Kyle. Which of Archie's assistant coaches is most likely to get a head coaching job after this season or next? Uh you know, I would answer this question by saying Bruiser Flint. I mean, I think he's a guy who clearly, at least it seems to me, wants another head coaching position. You know, he coached for a long time at UMass and at Drexel, had a, a lot of success, you know, conference coach of the year a few times, made some NCAA tournaments, uh, and, you know, took a step back last year, was not coaching, and, you know, just went around and saw different practices. That's when he infamously said that, you know, Tom Crean's practice was, you know, the best one that he saw. And so, you know, I think he was a great get for Archie Miller. I think he's going to help in a lot of ways. Uh, but I don't think being an assistant coach was kind of the, the next destination job for him. So he would be the guy I would think. Obviously, Ed Schilling has previous, uh, you know, head coaching experience. And, and you've got Tom Ostrom as well. Um, but uh, Bruiser Flint would be the guy, to me, that I would guess. I mean, it's just kind of a wild guess just based on what I've kind of read and seen from those guys. Uh, what do you think, Andy? Yeah, I, I probably would lean the same way, although I think Ostrom is an interesting one who has, you know, been with Miller for a while. Um, but he's also, you know, been an assistant at some other high major programs at Arkansas, at Florida. Um, and so I think that would be, you know, you know, maybe the, the less obvious one. You know, we see so many times that that guys get get jobs. It feels like only because they have well, maybe not only because, but one of the main reasons is because they've already had another job. And so maybe that's what gives Flint the edge. And as you said, has that head coaching experience seems to want to get back into it. Um, I would also be surprised though, if a guy like Ostrom, who's been, you know, an assistant, uh, in different places for, you know, the better part of, of 10 years, doesn't have aspirations to do that. Um, and maybe is just kind of waiting, uh, for the, for the right opportunity, but, you know, to be able to be an assistant at, at, you know, three places, uh, you know, within major conferences, I think is is a good one. So that might be a little bit under the radar. I think Schilling would be the least likely uh, in my eyes. It feels like he may or may not have had opportunities to do that in the past, but probably at this point for him um, doesn't necessarily feel as much like a, a, a direction that he would want to go. So I, I would tend to agree with you with Flint, but I think Ostrom maybe there's a, a better chance of that than people may give credit for. I think with Flint, um, if we're looking at just after this very next year, um, he's probably the more likely. But, you know, the, uh, Miller has a couple good seasons. Ostrom is a big part of that. You know, two years down the line, maybe he becomes the guy that uh, that would leave as well. Yeah. 
to Chris's question, do you think college coaches should be able to coach high school kids? This has an unfair advantage. They can recruit a player while no one else can. I think what Chris is referring to is, you know, like John Calipari coaching Team USA. I think it's the under-19 team or under-18 team, one of those. Uh, what do you think about that? I mean, that, you know, this strikes me as one of those things, you know, obviously if it's not your coach that's getting the opportunity to do it, you know, you kind of look at it and it's unfair and you don't like it. I think if Archie Miller had that opportunity, it would probably be something we'd all be very excited about. But I think the real question is, you know, regardless of who's doing it and if it's your guy that has that position, do you think that should be allowed? Is that fair, uh, you know, for a guy like Calipari to get that opportunity, even, you know, for Coach K to be able to coach Team USA? Like, do you – because obviously there's a built-in advantage there. There's no question. Uh, and I have to assume that it, it's a pretty political process with who gets those positions, although I really don't know the background on it. Um, so I agree with Chris that it's unfair, but I don't – I can't say it's something that I'm really going to get too worked up over, um, you know, like it shouldn't happen or it's it's a big deal. I, I've never really lost sleep over it, I guess. Yeah, I, I would I would largely fall in the same camp. I, I think with uh, – you know, again, to use the Calipari thing as an example, I, I, I would question that, you know, these guys already who he's – you know, the, the level of guys that he's recruiting on a consistent basis, how many guys he's getting drafted in the NBA every year – um, the kinds of success he's had with those one and done players, I, I guess I, I I question that if I'm a player and I've got an offer for Kentucky, is being around him in that other setting really pushing me over the edge, or have I already made my mind up because I I kind of know what I'm getting myself into? Um, maybe it's a little more, you know, personal time with him or the ability to see you know how he might run. Uh, different different practices or things like that, but quite honestly, you could go see that on an official visit. You could go see that um, different ways. So um, I, I also wonder if it isn't one of those things that feels like it's a huge advantage, um, and maybe it would be. It almost just the level at which he's recruiting is almost different than what everybody else is doing. Um, so to a certain extent, I wonder if it matters versus like if you if you had a coach who was you know a level or two you know, kind of below where he is from a recruiting standpoint. And all of a sudden they started to do that. But quite honestly, they were getting top recruiting classes every year before he was doing any of this. So is that really going to make a big difference? I, I guess I question that it is, but uh, definitely could see how people would be upset by it. And like you said, um, if Archie had the chance to do it, I would certainly be thrilled. So it's hard to, uh, you know, kind of ride both sides of the line there and, and say what, what I think is right or wrong. Uh, okay. Our last Twitter question here. This is from kicks Miller. Uh, out of all the 2018-2019 recruits, who do you think we have the best shot at getting? Now, we will cover this quickly because we don't spend a whole lot of time diving deep into recruiting. Um, you know, we could just, you know, kind of play to the base here and just say, let's see, uh, Romeo Langford, Keon Brooks, Trendon Watford, <laughs> uh, you know, just list off the names. Uh, and I would say, obviously, you know, a guy like Romeo Langford, it doesn't seem likely. Indiana doesn't really seem to be in any kind of leadership position in that one. So I'm not holding my breath on that one. Uh, I am interested. I'm intrigued at Indiana's chances with Keon Brooks and Trendon Watford. You know, I think uh, the Brooks recruitment is interesting because I think Michigan State was kind of out in the lead there and Indiana wasn't even in the picture and they are now. Uh, and obviously, you know, didn't seem like Trendon Watford had a scholarship offer before, which seems crazy, uh, but he does now. I feel like Indiana is in a pretty good position with those guys. And obviously Archie has an extra year to build that relationship. So those guys seem interesting. And then I think when you start talking about who do we have the best shot at getting, you know, whenever you're talking about the five star top 30, top 40 guys, you're going up against other heavy hitters there. And we obviously want to see Indiana compete and win some of those recruiting battles. But 
you know, in terms of best shot, you know, you start looking at guys like Robert Finnessy, who is a really good point guard, you know, being recruited by a lot of the local schools and is more likely than a guy like Darius Garland, who I think, you know, it seems like Indiana is probably in third place for him behind Duke and Vanderbilt based on everything that you hear. So I think it's great that Archie's swinging for the fences. You have to. Hopefully we land one or two of those guys. But I think the ones that we have the best shot at getting are the Robert Finnessy's and Race Thompson, who I think visited Bloomington uh, this weekend. Um, you know, Brandon Johns, another four-star guy. You know, maybe a guy like Eric Hunter if Indiana decides to offer him a scholarship. So I think those are the guys we have the best shot at getting. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't still swing for the fences and go for the five-star guys too. Yeah, I think it's um, because it has the chance for next year to be a fairly big class, given the number of guys that are there. Um, I think I, as well as a lot of other fans, would love to see a couple of those spots go to the, um, you know, the Robert Finnessy's, the Musa Jallos, um, you, you know, the hunters of the of the world, just to start to build some of that momentum um, within the state now. Whether that happens or not, I don't know. I'm certainly not advocating, hey, let's go get all Indiana guys and, and see what happens no matter where they're they're rated. But I do think some of those kinds of guys can be four-year building block type of players um, that any IU team that any of us can really remember, you've had some of those guys. Um, and really to be able to kind of build a foundation starting with that class is exciting to me. Um, and hopefully you sprinkle in some of those, you know, one or two of those, you know, higher-end guys um, you know, whether that's Romeo Langford in the, you know, Nirvana for everybody, but if, you know, uh, it, you know, it could be, could be other, other guys who are there, but I think, um, I think starting to build some kind of foundation with those kind of guys would be good. And then, you know, sprinkle in some other players and, and, and really have some good balance to the class, both from a, both from the standpoint of geography, from the standpoint of how long you think they're going to be there and, and all those kinds of things. I think that would, would kind of really get the ball rolling in a good spot and then move on to 2019 uh, where you do, as you said, have that extra year uh, where you've got the excitement around the Keon Brooks and, and the trend in Watford and those kinds of guys who everybody's starting to get excited about already. Um, I, I think being able to, again, get some guys in and, and be able to show those guys, hey, we've got foundational guys who are going to be able to get you involved, who are going to be able to do these things. So you get a guy like a Finnessy, um, as a point guard, as an example, um, you know, a steady guy at the point who's a, a distributor, a pass first type of guy that that's something that is going to appeal, uh, you know, to other high end guys. So I think that becomes uh, important in that regard. But th those are some of the names that I think would be exciting to see. But uh, to be honest, I don't follow this as closely as a lot of other people. Um, you know, I'm not getting tape like Ryan, so I can't really, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't really know, uh, you know, what to what to make of all that. But that's at least my, my kind of quick thoughts on it. Yeah, we all need to get tape like Ryan gets tape. I don't know. Absolutely. Don't know, He's probably he watching it. A, he probably used it for draft prospects. I mean, just amazing. I know. I know. He's He's got a whole just archive of tape in his apartment. <laughs> Um, okay, so that was all the questions. Awesome questions. We appreciate you continuing to send them in uh, throughout the offseason. And it's great because you give us you know, kind of different angles to look at this stuff from. So continue sending the questions. We try and get to as many of them as we can. Uh, with those now answered, Andy, are you ready to count down the 10 most important players from the Tom Crean era? Because I think this is going to be kind of fun. Let's do it. Okay, let's do it. So coming up on the assembly call, we will count down the 10 most important, not the best, but the most important players from the Tom Crean era. That's coming up on the assembly call.
You are listening to the Assembly Call. Remember to go to assemblycall.com slash join to activate your free membership. You will get our weekly six-banner Saturday slash Sunday news roundups delivered right to your inbox each Saturday or Sunday, depending on when we get it done, so that you can stay up to date with your Hoosiers during the offseason and even once the season begins. The URL is assemblycall.com slash join. I am Jared Morris talking IU basketball with my co-host on the Assembly Call, Andy Bottoms. And remember, you can join us after every IU basketball game over at assemblycall.com and every week right here for Assembly Call Radio. So, Andy, uh, slower week for Indiana basketball news, so we're going to pull a fun topic out of the hat here and discuss and debate. And this week's topic is the 10 most important players of the Tom Crean era. Now, to begin, just to kind of set the stage and the parameters, I think it's very important that we discuss and define you know what we mean by important and I think it, obviously going with important is different than going with best and we did that for a very specific reason because if you take the 10 best players of the Tom Crean era for example you probably have to include Noah Vonley because it's pretty you know it's inarguable that he was one of the 10 best players in terms of just talent and ability but was he one of the most important players I mean if you remove him his one year from Indiana is anything markedly different you know, now in in the history of Indiana basketball? And the answer to that is probably no. So I, I didn't want to get down into that. I think that's a less interesting debate than who is the most important. And, and to me, how I defined important, Andy, I want to know how you defined it, is, again, you know, if you took that player out, if you removed their contributions, are we now looking back at Indiana basketball differently? Do we not have two Big Ten titles in the last decade? You know, are we losing important games that we won that are, you know, memories that IU fans will have that were important in the history and, and, and continuing to build the tradition of IU basketball? So that's how I defined important. Did you have any different definition of it as you were going through? No, that was definitely an important distinction as we were emailing about doing this. You kind of called that out pretty early on. So I think it definitely helped to frame uh, a little bit of it up. Although I do think you're selling short the Vonley thing because if it wasn't for him... What would how would we make fun of Ryan for the uh, he's on a two year plan thing? So I mean, but he's one of the ten that, most important players in the history of the show. But of that's, the show, okay, that's different. All right, all right. That's, like that's an, that's for another day. That's for another day. Right, like Stan Robinson didn't make either of our top ten lists, but secretly hey, you, in our, hey, in our speak <laughs> for yourself in our, in our personal list, Stan Robinson clearly would have made it, but not you know as as we did the list this way. So let's start going through this, and, and I think. Let's go through it by tiers, because I think as you start looking at this, some pretty clear tiers start to develop, and I don't think really the top tier is that interesting, and it'll be really it's intriguing to me to see if we'll get any debate over the top tier. I think the top three, very clear. You've got Cody Zeller, you've got Yogi Ferrell, you've got Victor Oladipo, and I think you could debate Yogi or Victor at number two. I think that's worthwhile. I put Yogi at number two because he's the only guy to win two Big Ten titles under Tom Crean. I think he was the greatest example of four-year player development under Crean. Uh, and, you know, again, just look at how Indiana cratered after he left. I mean, that really gave us an appreciation for how great he was. And, I mean, look, Victor was phenomenal. He gave Indiana its swagger and style back. He was the quintessential Tom Crean success story from under-recruited to first-team All-American and number two pick. And, and you think about some of the amazing performances, like the 19 points, nine boards, five steals he had when Indiana finally broke the hex at the Breslin Center. He was phenomenal. So I think, depending on your own personal criteria, you can probably flip-flop those guys if you want to. But I don't think there's much debate that Cody Zeller is number one. 
because when he committed, that kind of signaled to everybody, hey, it's okay to go to Indiana again for you know the big name players, uh, you know from in state. I don't think Indiana gets Yogi Ferrell if they don't get Cody Zeller, and obviously Yogi Ferrell is another top three player. And look, Cody was just a phenomenal college player and underrated in a lot of ways because it probably was impossible for him to live up to the hype, but he made others around him better. You know, you look at the Ken Palm Player of the Year rankings, and even though Victor got a little bit more hype in 2013, Cody was number three, uh, you know, in the Ken Palm ratings for Player of the Year. Victor was number nine. They were both great, but I think sometimes what Cody did to make other players better that didn't show up in the stat sheet you know, again, I just I'm not sure people really recognize that as much uh, as they did. And and same thing. I mean, you know, it, the the one common theme with all the guys that are really in the top five, six spots here is look at what Indiana did after they were gone. Uh, and obviously, Indiana really struggled after Cody left, you know, with leadership and, and, and with some of the things uh, that he brought and that a guy like Victor brought, too. So I think those are the top three. That's my order. Andy, I think you agree with the top three. Did you have them all in the same order? Yeah, I did. I, I do think the the Zeller one to me was the easiest of the bunch to to dad. As you said, I think there's a level of unselfishness with him. And also so many times over the years that we've been doing the show and probably people have been doing, you know, long before that was just who do you have that you know what you can expect from an, from on a night in and night out basis? And he was always a guy who you knew was going to give good effort. You knew he was going to protect the rim, grab rebounds. And, uh, and, and, and just play with a lot of energy. And I think that, you know, for a guy of his, uh, not only just his size, but also the, the acclaim that he came in with, um, you don't always see that from big time recruits, um, didn't want to take any shortcuts was, you know, willing to do all the right things when he was there. So I think that one, uh, to me was the easiest one. I did end up with Yogi there. Uh, I think just because you look at Oladipo's freshman year, there were certainly some, uh, you know, some impressive moments and you could start to see flashes of the ability that he would later show. Um, you didn't know how good he was going to get. Um, but I do think Yogi, even as a freshman was put in a really difficult position. We saw him do a lot of different things over the course of his time. And, and a guy that walks out of, of IU as the all time assist leader, uh, and two big 10 titles in the four years that he had, I think, uh, that counts for, uh, a, a little bit more. And so, yeah, I had those, those is the clear top three, a uh, bit of a drop-off after that, and I had him in the same order as you. Uh, I think the next two were pretty clear, uh, Christian Watford and Jordan Hulls, you know, both guys who obviously came in in that the, the first big recruiting class for Tom Crean uh, his second year. And, you know, again, they kind of brought back some competitiveness. Not that Indiana was great, obviously, their first year or their second year, but, you know, you think about Christian Watford, you know, and, and the night when he kind of gave Indiana a chance before reinforcements came, you know, the overtime game against Michigan State. And obviously, you know, the watch shot and just how he developed. And, I mean, Jordan Hulls, you know, he, shoot, he brought shooting back to Assembly Hall, you know, and kind of ushered in this new era of Indiana being a team, you know, defined by the three-pointer uh, and just helped set the foundation with his work ethic and his attitude and was, you know, just a, a really good, steady player. Um, any argument from you on those guys being four and five? I had Watford ahead of Hulls just because he was kind of the better, more versatile player. Um, but I, I, I always kind of think of those guys kind of in the same way. Yeah, I, I yeah, so far it's the same order uh, for me as well. And I think uh, it, it, there's also, it, this is where the important versus you know, talented piece comes in there. There's an emotional connection that I think IU fans have with those guys because of watching them endure what they did at the beginning of their careers and really how big of a role they played in building things back up. Um, I, I think, I think that counts for 
a whole lot. Um, certainly in the eyes of fans, I think it's one of those where it's hard to, if you're doing this on raw numbers, um, and you're, you know, robotic and kind of look through at numbers. I don't know that you do that. I think Watford would still, um, certainly be in the conversation given, you know, what he accomplished on a, on a year in year out basis. But, um, I, I think that the, the kind of emotional connection that everybody feels to those guys, uh, adds to it a lot and makes them kind of a, again, kind of a tier, uh, of their own guys who really contributed over the course of their four years. Um, and, and again, you kind of see a theme with, you know, at least, you know, three of our five have been, uh, four year guys, which, um, you know, in, in, as, as things got later, uh, in Crane's area, you had more of the one and done two and done type players, but it's kind of interesting to look that, you know, three of those five are, are guys who really, uh, we watched grow, uh, over the course of those four years and, and, and do some amazing things during that time period. So let's, let's give the rest of our top 10 now. I think, you know, top five, all the same. I think we may have some differences now and then we can pick out, you know, what'll be some good debates, you know, between either where we have guys ranked or guys that we didn't include. So the rest of my top 10 is Will Sheehy. You know, I thought he with, you know, the Sheila Depot recruiting class really bought, brought the swagger back. Obviously his shot against VCU, you know, sent Indiana into the sweet 16. Uh, I had Thomas Bryant at number seven uh, because he really filled one of the biggest roster holes that was present during Tom Crean's era. And I think had that remarkable freshman season and that signature moment against Kentucky. This is why I'm here. Uh, number eight, I had Troy Williams. You know, he was really up and down, probably had the talent to be higher and had those great moments like his performance against Notre Dame, which probably saved the season and down the stretch in Big Ten play, you know, in 2016, he was fantastic, but obviously held back by some of the bad Troy moments. At number nine, I had OG. Uh, I thought his emergence after the Blackman injury in 2016 really helped propel Indiana to that Big Ten title. I thought his defense in the first half, especially against Kentucky, helped make everyone believe that we could win that game. And, you know, look, his injury really you know, derailed any chance that the 2017 season had to get back on track, even though Indiana was playing poorly at the time. And he was kind of struggling after the great performances he had against Kansas and North Carolina to kind of win those games and show the potential that that group had. So I had him at nine and then I had Max Bielfeld at 10, even though he only played that one season, kind of filled that other big hole behind Thomas Bryant and, you know, look, saved Indiana's bacon in the Rutgers game was so important off the bench in Big Ten play, where, again, I think if you remove his one season, I don't think Indiana wins the Big Ten without him. And Big Ten championships are those last, those, you know, Indiana builds its long-term reputation and tradition, the Big Ten conference, brick by brick with each conference championship. And so I think you get extra credit for playing on a conference champion, and he was an essential cog in that. And so, you know, it's hard to overlook guys like Fredell Jones and James Blackman Jr. and Robert Johnson and some other guys that aren't on the list. But I just think, you know, you take Max Bielfeld off, you're you're taking a Big Ten championship off the board. Uh, and so for me, I, I couldn't not have him in the top ten. What was the rest of your top ten? Yeah, it's I, I don't know that I ever really finished finished rounding out the, the guys that I had. So I, I certainly had and this is maybe where we can get into some of the debate. So the five guys that you had were I basically had six guys for five spots, I would say. So the five that you mentioned uh, and then Blackman would be the other one um, from my perspective. You know, it's it, with him, it, you know, average at least 15 points a game each of the years that he was there, had some, you know, really good moments, the Kansas game. Um, you know, some of the other games that he kind of put the team on his back. Then you also look at that season where using your criteria of, well, if you took this guy off, what would happen? Well, you did take him off and you won the big 10. So, 
Um, I think that's where that that was where that one got a little bit difficult for me. I think uh, from an order standpoint, I don't know that I'd have Sheehy quite as high as you did. I would have him uh, there. I think again, yeah. maybe that's some of that you know emotional subjective uh, type stuff where you you know you really you know he and Oladipo coming in together, the unheralded guys who really brought uh, you know some toughness. Um, you watch them, watch them grow, you know, those moments like the, you know, the Purdue game when he's, you know, flexing and, and yelling at the crowd and things like that. Um, you know, I, me, I, I can be maybe, debated down on Sheehy. I think he, that that's probably the one yeah. pick that I didn't feel the best about. So, yeah, I probably would have had in, in some order next Troy and, and Thomas, um, you know, I think Bryant, certainly when you look back at his freshman year, uh, was, was incredibly important. Again, if you think about you're taking somebody off of that team, uh, he was, you know, such a big part of what they were able to do. That was it was a huge hole, um, you know, late into the recruiting period for that team and what that was going to look like. And they ended up adding him and Bielfeld, uh that you mentioned earlier. And so that was that was a big one. I think had a disappointing sophomore season, even though numbers wise from a, averages of of points and rebounds got better, um, displayed different skills, but I think was kind of a, a point of frustration for a lot of folks. So, but I would have him and and, and Troy. Uh, in there, I think again, Troy, you you kind of had these really high highs and sometimes really low lows. Um, but in the middle, there was a guy who, when he was on, took that team to another level. Um, and really, as you said, you know, there were games when he really tried to put the team on his back. That that Notre Dame game, even um, you know the early second half, I believe of the of the North Carolina game in the tournament, kind of showed how dynamic he he could be. And while he might not have ever become what everybody hoped he would be, um, it was another guy who you know all this year we were like somebody needs to play that role the guy cutting along the baseline and uh and doing those kinds of things so um you look at that so those are probably the guys i would have had at six and seven um maybe i'm at Sheehy in the the eight range um og was another interesting one for me i think I, I agree with you in the sense of we saw what happened when you took him off the team this year um and he certainly had those moments last year but it just feels so incomplete in a lot of ways of of what he really could have been um and so, yeah, so the biggest debate for me was really probably between, you know, Blackman and, and Bielfeld. And I don't know that I ever settled on on where I would come down. I definitely your argument of would that team have won uh, the Big Ten without Bielfeld, I think, is definitely true. Uh, and did they win it without Blackman? They did. So m- maybe that ultimately is the, uh, you know, is the tiebreaker there. Some of the defensive things with Blackman as we, it, you know, much maligned from that perspective. But um, also don't want to downplay a guy who could could score the way that he could, could shoot the ball the way that he could um, on, you know, a team in this, this past season that really struggled in, in some of those areas. So, um, so I had, I, like I said, I had those same five plus Blackman and kind of in the mix for those spots. Uh, and then, you know, Verdell Jones, uh, you know, Von Lake kind of just because he, you know, was a, a one and done type guy was, was in the mix. Uh, Robert Johnson, obviously, I mean, that was a clear number six. I totally missed the boat on that, but yeah. How, how do you um, not have Robert Johnson? You know, it's funny though. I was looking back at his stats. I mean, he's averaged eight, at least eight points a game each year, about three rebounds a year. So I, I think when you look back at career-wise, uh, you know, certainly after the season, hopefully has a great uh, senior season and and can really build on some of those things. But I think he's, I think he's probably closer to that conversation than a lot of people would would give him credit for. To be fair, uh, e- even though I'm a bit of a, I, I don't know if you can be a homer in that case, but uh, even though maybe I'm, I'm biased to to that extent, but uh, you know, I, I think he probably deserves to at least at least some honorable mention in that uh, in that conversation. 
So hold the thought on Verdell Jones because he was interesting to me. And Brian Tonsoni makes a great point in our chat. He says, you know, wasn't a fan of Verdell when playing, but in the years that have passed, really appreciate his career. And I feel exactly the same way. And I'll tell you where I had Verdell when I first went through and made this list. And I kind of changed it. Um, and I'll tell you why I changed it. Because he, he's a really interesting character, uh, I think, in the Tom Crean era. Um, and so I want to talk about that. And we'll get into any other uh, you know, kind of differences or debates that we want uh, coming up in our fourth segment. So stick with us here on the Assembly Call. We will finish up talking about the 10 most important players from the Tom Crean era here on the Assembly Call. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris talking IU basketball with Andy Bottoms, and we are finishing up our discussion of the 10 most important players from the Tom Crean era. And there was one guy who didn't make it onto either of our lists, Andy, and that is Verdell Jones. And he's a guy, actually, that when I first started going through and making my list, I just assumed he would be on it, you know, for just the amount of minutes he played and the amount of shots that he took. And, I, you know, I just – and obviously, look, I mean, he had big moments, too. I mean, he was the one who threw the pass to Christian Watford for the watch shot you know that that is a moment that will live in Indiana basketball history forever and he was a big part of it and I really thought you know him getting injured uh, in the Big Ten tournament that year hurt Indiana's ability to go further in the Big Ten tournament and now you know whoever that guy was from Wisconsin that got you know ridiculously hot in the Big Ten tournament that might have happened anyway and maybe having Verdell doesn't uh, you know doesn't change that um, but you know, I, I thought that I thought he really improved and, and, and really found his role and found his groove on that team. Uh, so, you know, but when I really stopped to look at it, you know, I didn't want to give Verdell extra credit just because he played on teams that weren't very talented and weren't very good. And he got a lot of, you know, extra shots and was kind of a volume shooter and scorer because I think ultimately if you remove his contributions from Indiana basketball, you still have the same number of Big Ten titles and, for the most part, the same number of big wins, although maybe they don't get the win over Kentucky um, without him. But I just thought when you only had 10 spots, as much as I wanted him to be in there because I really appreciated Verdell's career and how he was, you know, he was that one guy, you know, that came from Tom Crean's first season, you know, and, you know, all the way through to that fourth season when things started to get good. Um, you know, and battled through all of that and has been such a great ambassador for the program since then. I wanted to include him, but based on the criteria that we were using, I just couldn't justify it over some of the guys uh, that were over him that were, you know, I think better players and, and contributed more to big wins and to Big Ten titles, really in some ways than he had the opportunity to do. And sometimes you need the opportunity as well. Um, but that's why I did not have uh, Verdell in there. Um, any final thoughts from you on Verdell?
By the way, you'll have to forgive me. The uh, The Big Ten tournament losses to Wisconsin are running together for me, but it was 2013 when Ryan Evans went off. But Indiana did lose to Wisconsin. And it, oh, was it Wilson? Whatever, whatever. We, we are not going to go down that road and talk too much about that memory. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Terribly sorry. Um, okay, now. <laughs> yeah, just let it go. Let it go. Just, Just shut up, Jared. Just shut up. Um, so some other guys for honorable mention that definitely need to be discussed, you know, guys like Kyle Tabor and Brett Finkelmeyer that were the holdovers, uh, you know, and were there for, for Tom Crean's first season to kind of help bridge that gap. I think Tom Pritchard is an interesting name and a few people brought him up on Twitter. I mean, obviously he, you know, battled through a lot of losses, uh, had, you know, a memorable moment with maybe the greatest follow-up dunk in the history of basketball with the Pritch slap, uh, a guy that, you know, based on the flurry that he started with, you would have thought that he was a shoe-in for this list as Maurice Creek, probably the great what-if of the Tom Crean era. I mean, you know, if you're going to put together a list of, of the 10, you know, maybe greatest moments of the Tom Crean era, and maybe we'll do that at some point, I think you'd be hard-pressed to leave his performance against Kentucky as a freshman off of that. Because in a lot of ways, that was really the first time when you said, hey, wait a minute. All right, we got a player here. Indiana basketball is back. We're back to getting elite talent again. I mean, that was obviously before the the, the majorly consequential Kentucky game that would come later. Uh, but that performance was transcendent. Um, and, you know, so Maurice Creek, you know, so much potential. And you got guys like Derek Elston, you know, obviously, you know, the Robert Johnsons and other guys like that. Um, you know, I think, you know, the only other guys that really – I think have legitimate arguments for the top 10 would be Verdell would be a guy like James Blackman Jr. Um, I think if you squint, you could maybe make a case for Robert Johnson, you know, and it, it, I mean, we talked with, uh, with Max Bielfeld on podcast on the brink and he talked about how much Robert Johnson meant to that big 10 championship team and how he was that defensive bulldog, you know, and so maybe we're underrating him a little bit. Uh, but I just wanted to mention some of those other guys, um, you know, from the Tom Crean era. And obviously you have guys like, you know, Hunter Perea and Jeremy Hollowell and, you know, Stan Robinson and Noah Vonley and some other guys who had perhaps the talent to be on this list and were important in ways that weren't good. And, and so I think we wanted to keep this list as important in terms of achievements that are long lasting, not, you know, well, you know, because of this recruitment or because of this guy's, you know, personal issues off the court, it changed the program in this way. You certainly could have added other guys to a list of important players, but we wanted to keep it more in terms of positive contributions, and so that's why we focused on those guys uh, instead of some of those other ones. Um, we got a couple of minutes left still, Andy. Any any final thoughts on this list or any other guys that you wanted to mention or make a case for? No, I think you I think you touched on the the major ones. Yeah, Pritchard was interesting. I, I was surprised at how much his, his stats really fell off after that first year. I think it just spoke to how much he was forced to play. Um, you know, averaged almost 10 points a game his freshman his freshman season, and then never more than you know 4.2 after that. Uh, the Creek one was interesting. You know, certainly just didn't play enough games. Um, but boy, when you look at those you know 12 games in to his freshman season as a guy who you know could really score, but you, you started to envision, hey, when this guy puts some weight on uh, and some of those kinds of things, what could he be? You know, he's 16 points a game at that point uh, into the season. Is it, you know just a, a, an interesting one to think about, as you said. Maybe if you know if we're listing out what ifs of different things, uh, he is he is absolutely uh, you know at the top of that list and and what that team and teams after that could have been had he been able to stay healthy uh, going forward from there. Andy, we have one minute left, and guess what just happened as we record this on Thursday evening? Uh, what's that? OG Ananobi was just selected by the Toronto Raptors, so OG's uh, stay in the green room 
his weight to be picked is over. He goes 23rd to the Toronto Raptors. Obviously, we don't have a whole lot of time to break that down, but exciting news for OG that he was a first-round pick. Uh, and we have a direct quote now from OG Ananobi. That's cool, I guess, is probably something <laughs> he would say after being picked in the first round of the NBA draft. Yes, I would imagine. <laughs> if we don't have time for much. We do have enough time to probably interview him about being selected in the draft. Yes, the in draft. our final 30 seconds, we could probably do a full OG Ananobi <laughs> interview. <laughs> Squeeze in five questions and be done. We're good. Yes, yes, we probably could. So that's I'm really excited for OG uh, that he's a first-round pick. I think Toronto got, I mean, in terms of talent and potential, they absolutely got a steal. So probably just the injury, uh, you know, I think scared some teams. But final thoughts on OG? we got about 15 seconds left. No, I mean, exciting. I think we'll be interested to see how quickly a team really gets him out there. I think there's a lot of work to do with him offensively in addition to his health. So uh, hopefully they don't rush him along and give him time to, uh, to develop and he can become a productive player up, uh, up north. Yeah. That is awesome. Well, good for you, OG. We wish you the best in your professional career. We will certainly be watching. And uh, next week on the Assembly Call, we'll talk a little bit more about the NBA draft uh, and the future for some former Hoosiers. Uh, but for now, that is it on this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live simulcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Or you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com slash join to activate your free Assembly Call membership. Thank you for listening. We'll be back to talk IU hoops again with you next week. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. Go Hoosiers. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client.